Good morning, everybody. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson, here on Wisdom Awakening. Uh, this morning is going to be a special edition. Uh, it's going to be shorter than they normally are because I've got important work to do in preparation for a press conference that I'm hosti hosting tomorrow at 10 a.m. at the Family Foundation uh, at 707 East Franklin Street in Richmond, Virginia to talk about the scourge of violence against children being gunned down the streets of our cities across this nation. We had one such incident in Richmond recently where a mother and her three-month-old baby were gunned down uh, at a housing development. While sitting out just enjoying the weather, a gunfight breaks out, kills both the mother and her three-month-old baby. This kind of thing is happening all across the country and it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Uh, black Lives Matter is doing nothing about it because they don't care about black lives, as I pointed out. The NAACP has nothing to say about it because they're just the wholly owned subsidiary of a particular political party, and that's all they do is their bidding. Um, the mayors of these cities, the city councilors in these cities, have basically tied the hands of police who can't really do anything about it in many of these major cities where these things are happening because their budgets have been cut, uh, people are retiring, resigning, and police departments are strapped to try to not only solve, but to prevent such crimes from happening. And so we're going to address this. And of course, <clears throat> anybody can, can complain about these things happening but we want to address solutions and talk about what we can do to stop the scourge of violence. And that's what we're going to do tomorrow in the press conference. If we're able to do it, uh, I won't be with you tomorrow live because uh, I will be in Richmond, Virginia, uh, preparing to host the press conference itself at the time when I would normally be on the air with you. I'll be meeting with some of the people because we are bringing people from around the country. We will have parents represented. Parents will be there whose children have been murdered. Um, we'll have ministers from around the country who are officers and leaders of Stan. So it's going to be a very, very important event. But part of what the message of the event is, is that the inner city's problems are not racial. They're cultural. They're family. They really have to do with a kind of culture that has grown up in these communities as a result of the breakdown of the family, the, the, the horrible educational systems that are uh, graduating kids from high school functionally illiterate, which means their opportunities are limited. The street presents an opportunity to earn some money, of course, at risk of your own life and at the lives of others and matriculates people into a kind of culture of pathology that says life doesn't really matter. Live fast, die young, leave a pretty corpse. And it doesn't matter who you kill along the way. And then the community justifies this by refusing to cooperate with police when these things happen, either out of fear or out of some misguided sense of loyalty. The, if, 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 if the inner cities of our country are to stop being hell holes of violence and drugs and gang warfare and, and horrible education, it's going to happen, have to happen from within. 
you know, the, these, these esoteric ideas about systemic racism are irrelevant. Irrelevant. Something has to be done to change the culture of these communities. And in my view, it begins with the family. So we're going to talk about all of that. That's all theoretical. How do we, how do we begin to address these problems? We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, so I wanted to take a moment today. Uh, first of all, I invite you to come, but you've got to RSVP because seating is limited. We do expect a good number of people there. Uh, I think we've got seating for about 50. We're expecting and my, my team of people is going to take up about 20% uh, of those seats, the team that I'm going to have there. Um, and we're going to have some press there. That could take up another 20%. I'm not sure. So that only leaves about 30, maybe 40 seats. We do have some left over uh, because, you know, people tend to show up at these things without RSVPing and just expect to get in. And you may well be able to get in, but I can't guarantee that if you don't RSVP. I don't want to turn anybody away. If we have an overflow crowd, I'll step out on the come outside and, and talk to the people who've shown up about what went on on the inside. The other thing that I want to do, I can't promise you this because I haven't really gotten with my technical people on making sure that we can do this. Uh, I'm, at some point we can do it. I'd like to do it for you on Thursday. But the other thing I want to do is to show you the press conference here, to use the Wisdom Awakening as an opportunity for you to see the press conference uh, yourself. But I just can't, I can't promise that because I, I'm not a technical person. I don't do that stuff. I'm trying to, I've got to get with my technical people and, uh, and figure out exactly how we do that and how soon we can do that. One way or another, uh, Wisdom Awakening will be back live on Thursday. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday, probably me live, talking about what happened, uh, and eventually we're hoping to show you uh, what happened, uh, the entire press conference, so that you can hear these parents talk, and you can hear these ministers talk, uh, and hear other people talk about what needs to be done to stop the scourge. And this is not about race. The, the, the mantra that everything is caused by racism is, is, is frankly... A, a demonic distraction from doing the real work that can help people have better lives. So, but I wanted to share the scripture with you before I go. And it's out of Hosea chapter 4. We're very familiar with Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Some people read that my people perish for lack of knowledge, but what it actually reads is, my people are destroyed. That means they are cut down. I mean, perish is an okay translation, but it's really a more active word. It means cut down, brought to nothing, destroyed by lack of knowledge. And we all know that text. I mean, most people know it's in Hosea 4, 6, but what we don't know is the context. As I've said, is not original to me, but a text without a context can be a pretext. Um, but verse 1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land by swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint 
with bloodshed upon bloodshed. The old King James Version says, blood toucheth blood. In other words, blood just runs into each other from the various quarters in which blood is being shed, which is exactly what we've got going on in our country right now with this spike in crime. And specifically for me, the murders of these innocent children who have done nothing. Believe it or not, we all know about Rayshard Brooks down in Atlanta. Rayshard Brooks is the guy who ended up turning to try to shoot a taser at the police while he was running away and got shot dead. The police officer who shot him was fired and then reinstated because they hadn't followed proper procedures. So I don't think anybody knows what the outcome will be with him. Um, that that's in my view, under the circumstances, it was a justifiable call. I mean, somebody turns and points a weapon at you. You don't in the heat of the moment. You don't know exactly what you're dealing with. Um, and they fired on him and and uh, and killed the man. It's sad. Uh, that he had to lose his life because it didn't have to happen. I watched the entire video leading up to that. I watched the entire video. The police officers were courteous. They were professional. They were kind. They didn't lay a hand on him. In fact, in my view, they were going out of their way to try to let him go. But, he, but the longer they spent with him, the more incoherent he became. And it was just clear to me that the man was drunk. He had fallen asleep twice in, um, I think it was a McDonald's or Burger King, but he had fallen asleep twice in the line and people had called the police and complained. And when they woke him up, they told him, just pull over and, and get some rest. Well, then he pulled, when he pulled, oh, first of all, he fell back asleep after they stopped him, told him, we don't wake up, <laughs> pull your car. But he fell asleep again. And then he told him, pull over. Well, then they decided we better check him out because he is behind the wheel of a vehicle and they started giving him a sobriety test. It was just clear to me that he failed it because he, he wasn't coherent. He couldn't follow their questions. He couldn't follow their instructions. They told him to walk. He counted standing still. So everything was fine. Everything was fine until they tried to put the handcuffs on him. And when they tried to put the handcuffs on him, he fought. You can hear them saying, stop fighting, stop fighting, stop fighting. And I guess at some point, he thinks probably that he's grabbing a gun. I really believe, I don't think he thought he had a taser. I think he thought he had a gun because it was, things went from bad to worse, I'd say in about five seconds. Seriously, folks, five seconds. The tussle on the ground, maybe 10. The tussle on the ground, him getting the police officer's taser, running away, and then turning and pointing the taser at the police officers. That happened couldn't have been more than 10 seconds. And up until that time, the conversations were courteous. They were friendly. They weren't nasty with him. They weren't mistreating him in any way. They didn't lay hands on him in any way. But as soon as they tried to put the cuffs on, as soon as they said, you know, sir, you are, we're going we're gonna to have to arrest you for driving under the influence of alcohol. And because he admitted that he was drunk. Ultimately, he admitted it, that he was impaired. <laughs> he ultimately said, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm impaired. I'm, and that's when the fight broke out. Now, I don't say all of that to justify the man's death. I hear again, I believe it was a difficult call. I believe the police officer made a reasonable, rational call under the circumstances. Somebody turning and pointing something at him, which he probably thought could be a gun. Um, but that aside, here's my point. Later on, at almost the same spot, 
an eight-year-old girl, eight-year-old girl, Sequoia Turner, was murdered when she, when her mother tried to pull around a Black Lives Matter protesters barricade. She tried to pull into a parking lot and tried to pull around their barricade to get into the parking lot. And when she did that, two people, they think it was two, at least one, but, but presumably two, opened fire on her vehicle and killed that eight-year-old child. How much, how much protest do you think there was over that? None. None. How much you and cry over that? None. You could hear the people when they shot Rayshard Turner, so, you know, complain, oh, man, you didn't have to do that, and da, da, da. You know, you could hear, you could, uh, er, erupting. They spent, I guarantee, 45 minutes talking to that man and trying to determine exactly what they were going to do about him. And it, it, it was all courteous. It was all professional. I mean, they didn't say a thing to him that anybody could have any complaints about. And then when they finally decided, look, he's drunk. We got, we got to arrest him. And, and I think they had to do that because the man was clearly impaired. And if he got into a car and then went off and killed somebody, that would have been on their hands. If they went, he went off and crashed into somebody and caused somebody's death or injury, that would have been on them. So they finally decided, okay, we, we, can't, we can't let him get back in the car. He's got to go. And that's when things went sour. What did Sequoia Turner do? Eight years old. Nothing. 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 Innocent child sitting in the car with a mother who's innocently trying to navigate a blockade and go into a store, and they shot the child dead. And I'll tell you something. If people can't get worked up about that, don't tell me I should get worked up about the police officers dealing with a very difficult situation, tr trying to treat somebody well, trying to do everything they can to keep it courteous, and then it, it gets out of hand, and the person points what looks like a gun at them. Uh, turns out it was a taser, but still points a weapon at them. They return fire, and now it's, it's the end of the world. But the death of an eight-year-old child, that's just kind of a footnote. That just, it just happens. That's sick is what it is. It's sick. We turned George Floyd into an icon when he was high on fentanyl and methamphetamine and passing counterfeit money. And here again, he didn't deserve that. And I'm not saying that at all. I think um, uh, <clears throat> this police officer deserves every day in jail he gets. So let me be very, very clear about that. But it's not like they showed up and went eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Police were called because there was a guy passing counterfeit money and it turned out he was high on meth and fentanyl. What was Sequoia Turner high on? She wasn't high. She wasn't driving under the influence. She wasn't resisting arrest. She wasn't having some confrontation with cops. She wasn't doing anything to anybody, and they killed her. And anybody who can't get worked up about that, don't tell me you can, you can get worked up about the police officers when you got children dying all over this country at the hands of thugs who could care less about innocent human life.
I can see being upset about both. If you think a real injustice has been done, because I get upset about a real. I thought that the, the, the video we watched with uh, Derek Chauvin with his knee on George Floyd's neck was horrible. It was horrifying. It was difficult to watch. It's abhorrent that anybody could treat another human being that way. So nonchalantly, like horrible. So yes, I can, I can be incensed about that. But I don't understand how people can be incensed about that and then not be incensed about these innocent children dying all over the country at the hands of thugs, mainly black people, black young guys, deciding they're going to kill, try to kill one another, and they don't care who dies in the process. You've seen a couple of these videos. One where two children are with this guy and the shooter's trying to kill the guy, but the children are all in the way. He fires 12 bullets. Thank God he didn't hit one of the children. Thank God the guy couldn't shoot because he only hit, hit the guy who was trying to kill twice and he didn't die. But those parents who were in a car and had an accident and these thugs jumped out and confronted them, those two parents in front of their children were killed execution style. And those children had to sit there and witness the cold-blooded murder of their parents over nothing, over nothing. You can't get worked up about that. Don't tell me you, you all worked up about, you know, police officers doing their job and when things go wrong, as if they're, here again, perpetuating this myth that that's the big problem in the black community. That is not the big problem in the black community. Frankly, from a statistical point of view, that is not even a problem in the black community. That's a made-up problem. Because the law-abiding citizens aren't having those problems, aren't having those issues. It's the people who are doing things that they have no business doing that end up in these confrontations, and then, as can happen in dangerous, difficult situations, things sometimes spin out of control like what happened with Rayshard Brooks. If you watch it, go watch the video. You'll see a professional police officer treating this man well. And this was, by the way, uh, this one was one of the police officers assigned to DUI investigations because the officer who actually stopped him realized he wasn't qualified to do the sobriety test and all that. So he called for this team that, that was brought in to do that. And they were very professional. They were very courteous. They talked to him, no problem. And yet, it, it, people would have you think that they came there to assassinate Rayshard Brooks. Well, who's going to hold accountable these thugs who are assassinating our children? Who's holding them accountable? You got plenty of people who hold cops accountable. Who's holding these thugs accountable? Where's the community outrage over the deaths of children? Well, we're going to speak to it tomorrow. Third verse of Hosea chapter 4 says, Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. And I really believe that's a picture of, of sin poisoning everything. Sin poisons everything. 
That's the context. That's the context of my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then it goes on to say, because you have rejected knowledge. See, it's not that the knowledge is not available. It's that the knowledge is being rejected. And God says, I will also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Wow. Look at that. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that God is saying, I don't care about these children. I don't love these children. I've rejected these children because their parents are sinning against me. I don't believe that's what the word is saying here at all. I believe what is teaching us here in Old Covenant context is really a spiritual law, which is when you reject God, you are sowing the seeds of destruction and you can't control what will be destroyed. Let me say that again. When you reject God, you are sowing the seeds of destruction and you cannot control what will be destroyed. And that includes children, sadly. If we want to get a different harvest, we better sow a different seed. Instead of sowing the seeds of rejection of God, the seeds of destruction, we need to sow the seeds of faith in God restoration of family, and respect for human life. You sow those seeds, you're going to get a great harvest. But the seeds that are being sown now are only bringing destruction and death. Seven, it says, the more they increase, the more they sinned against me, I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, they set their heart on iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. The law of sowing and reaping is still in effect. It was in effect in the old covenant. It's still in effect in the new. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life everlasting. It's not God's fault. It's the fault of those who are sowing bad seed. And you don't, we don't have a culture in which what needs to be said will be said, which is fathers, respect God, respect your responsibility, respect your wife, respect your children, and take your rightful place to care for and protect and support them in lawful ways. Hustling and robbing and stealing and killing and dealing drugs is just another set of bad seed that will bring a terrible harvest. And it's bringing it. We're watching it. Day by day, week by week, we're watching the harvest of death from the seeds of death that have been sown. Tenth verse says, for they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. There it is. There it is. They have ceased obeying the Lord. 
I'm not going to justify wrongdoing. I'm not going to justify it in a police officer. And I'm certainly not going to justify it in some thug on the street. I'm not going to justify a police officer because he happens to wear a blue uniform. I'm going to justify him because he's right. And I'm not going to justify some thug because he's going to happens to be black. I'm only going to justify him if he does what is right. And if he does what is wrong, I'm going to call it out and expose it and seek to do something about it. So that's tomorrow, June 30th, 10 a.m. at the Family Foundation, 707 East Franklin Street. Uh, RSBP, by the way, by emailing media at ewjackson.com, media at ewjackson.com. And um, we will take your RSVP and we'll, we'll allow people in according to the order in which they have RSVP. And when we reach our cutoff, we will begin to tell people, okay, we don't have any more seating for you. You're welcome to come, but you will be outside and I will come out and speak to you after the event is over and maybe br even bring some of the participants out if that seems to be indicated. Listen, God bless all of you. I wanted to, to, to spend the time today talking about this issue because it is so near and dear to my heart. Uh, I will end with this. You remember the, the, the situation of legend Talia Farrow? Legend Talia Farrow was a four-year-old child, four years old, lying in his bed when a bullet came through his apartment wall into his bedroom, into his bed, and shot him dead. Four years old. He had had a heart condition, and he was fighting that. And his mother said that he was, he was maturing, growing up fast, and, and had just begun to understand um, the people around him who were trying to help him. And he was looking forward to going to the, I think, a Heart Association march and being a part of that because he knew that that could help him to live. In his own four-year-old mind, understanding some of the dangers that he faced, mother said the night he was killed, he built a fort of pillows on his bed. And his four-year-old mind to protect him from the dangers that he knew he was surrounded by. Well, needless to say, his pillow fort didn't stop the bullet. And what strikes me is we adults are supposed to be building the forts that protect our children. We adults are supposed to be doing that. And sadly, with the distractions of acting like the police are somehow the enemy and defunding police and, and cutting uh, our police forces, we are abdicating our responsibility to protect the innocent. And they cannot protect themselves.
So I guess metaphorically what we are going to be doing tomorrow is launching a program that suggests we are going to build a fort to protect these children. By the grace of God, somehow, some way, I don't ever want to have to tell a story of a legend Talia Farrell again or a Sequoia Turner or any other child. God bless you. Pray for us. If you can make it tomorrow, be glad to see you. Otherwise, uh, we will, I will be off. I'm not sure we may air something tomorrow uh, of, of my past presentations. Uh, but either way, I will not be on live tomorrow. But I will be back uh, on Thursday to report on the event that we're doing tomorrow. So you all, please pray for us. If you want to support what we're doing, go to standamerica.us and you can contribute to us there financially if you choose to do that. Uh, your prayers, believe me, I say this sincerely, your prayers are more important to us than your contributions. We do need both, but your prayers are more important because prayer will produce resources. Resources can never substitute for prayer. So God bless you. Love you all. And uh, see you back here on Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I will be on today on my radio program, 1 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on American Family Radio. So God bless you. I love you. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.